so I think that not Mike is on. Yeah. Tonight I'd like to speak about compassion. Being able to face reality with an open heart. One of the most beautiful feelings we can have as a human being is to experience this unconditional compassion when our hearts are genuinely caring and it can turn to the suffering of others and ourselves, no matter what the conditions are. It may be very difficult for us, it may be difficult for another person, but still we're able to open our hearts unconditionally with care and connection. Because we feel that deep connection with someone else, it brings out that unconditional care that we can have. It can flow spontaneously. It can flow freely. And I'm sure that it doesn't take too much for yourselves to look at your own lives and remember times when this has happened to you, when it's been very challenging, but still, maybe because of the pain being so great, that it actually breaks our hearts, that we're able to open, we're able to connect, not just with others, but we're able to connect with a deeper part of ourselves. That courage, that courageous heart. We feel a sense of wholeness when we do this. It's sort of, I call it a holistic sacredness. Because our hearts aren't just preferring to open to what's joyful and easy to open to, but it's also okay to open to what's hard. In some strange way, this ability to face reality with an open heart makes us feel complete as a human being. We can go about feeling an incompleteness of ourselves when we can't do this, or when we see some part of ourselves that is trying to connect, trying to open with others, with that deeper part of ourselves, And somehow we feel incomplete and we know it has to happen, this opening has to happen in order to really deeply feel that completeness. It gives ourselves meaning and purpose in our lives to do this, to do what's difficult. Not just being a success in in various different ways of gaining and feeling a sense of fulfillment in our lives. That's important too. But it's this ability to let our hearts break open and to be with it, to have the courage to be with it as it does that. Being able to really care for ourselves in a balanced way when it's happening. Of course, there are the ups and downs, but we learn through both the ups and downs how to do this how to be balanced in caring for ourselves, in caring for the world. This world, I don't need to convince anyone here, this world contains a considerable amount of suffering. We see it in our own hearts. And just being in the quietness of the beauty and ease of this place, we, we see, see it even more clearly, in fact, when compassion is activated, we don't close down, we don't avoid, we don't turn away, we don't uh, latch, uh, strike out at others uh, because it's so hurtful that that's all we know how to do. But we can continue to feel that strength and courage in our own hearts and keep opening bit by bit not all at once, not pulling our petals open, but knowing how to do it in a balanced way, how to open to the truth of that vulnerability. Dukkha um, is a word we hear often in Buddhist traditions, which means the truth of that vulnerability, actually. It's all changing 
It's always so vulnerable. We don't know what's coming around the corner or behind that door. It's all so vulnerable. Nothing can give this kind of lasting happiness that we're always chasing after. Can we open to that, to that vulnerability? It's really what our practice is asking of us here. In recent years, there's been a lot of scientific research about the health effects of compassion. They, they test this by putting all these probes on people's heads, you know, where it's kind of connected to different parts of their brain. And in testing the people who had activated compassion by viewing films of people suffering, they saw that certain parts of their brain were lit up. And that part of their brain was the brain that's able to um, do something, to not feel helpless, to be able to bring up their energy and courage to actually face what needed to be faced. So it was found that when compassion was activated, when this emotion was activated on a physiological level, certain things happened in their autonomic nervous system. Their heart rate goes down. Their breathing patterns and blood flow are more regulated. And these are just a few of the things that in real life help us to prepare for this approach and soothe mode that is very uh, inherent within all of us. We've often heard about the opposite. The opposite is the fight or flight mode. But this other mode that science is uh, bringing out more clearly and seeing more clearly is this ability for us to actually open to approach and to soothe. Either we soothe ourselves, we soothe others. So instead of closing down, instead of turning away, instead of striking out, we can be not overwhelmed with the pain that we see outside of us or that comes up from within our own hearts. We can instead have this ability to really deeply connect with ourselves and others. We can stay connected to our strengths in a powerful way. So it's no wonder that this quality and similar qualities of this open-hearted strength in Buddhist traditions is celebrated as inner wealth. Inner wealth. It's nothing that someone else can give us. It's something that only we can realize actually through opening to the trials and tribulations of our own lives. Trungpa Rinpoche called this compassion facing reality with an open heart. And that's what I made the title of my Dharma talk, facing reality with an open heart. He called this the courageous heart. That's what it takes, a lot of courage. In the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, the Buddha laid out the Four Noble Truths, which all, if not uh, all of us, are connected with, we know about. He started with the reality of what we are all faced with as human beings. The Buddha was a realist, not a pessimist, as some people who aren't in the Buddhist tradition think that, uh, oh, the Buddha was a pessimist. He started out with, life is suffering which was the first, uh, one of the most prevalent translations of the first noble truth, life is suffering. The Pali words, those ancient words of, uh, that mean that this first noble truth is dukkha sacha, dukkha sacha. And that's more literally translated as there is the truth of suffering. Sacha is the truth. Dukkha is suffering, which has very uh, long descriptions. And I opened to a description of it in a Pali dictionary one time, and it took up several pages. So it's this inability to really face life in all of its reality. So there is this truth of suffering, and the Buddha is asking us to 
Let's not be in denial of it. We start by really facing it, by really stating that this is how it is in the human realm. That's why it's the first noble truth. Throughout his life, the Buddha taught that it's the quality of compassion that greatly supports us in our lives because we're constantly faced with this truth as human beings, constantly faced with it. He gave compassion a vitally important role in our lives as human beings and especially as people on the path of awakening. It is a powerful role uh, to develop that helps us develop our spiritual path. It's said that there are two wings of the Dharma and these two wings are compassion and wisdom. It's said that they both need to be equally developed, equally developed so that the great bird of the Dharma can take flight, can really lift itself up above this stream of samsara that we're all in and to fly to freedom. So without the development of compassion, wisdom can be an intellectual experience, not really from the heart, not really from opening to the experience of there is the truth of suffering. It's not just a few words to be believed in blindly. It's actually experience to be open to. Without wisdom, compassion can become pity or a grief that's never-ending and never healing. So we need both. We need both the development of compassion. We need the development of wisdom with compassion, compassion with wisdom. The courage and love and compassion can help us become more intimate. Just be able to give us the courage to come close to what's so painful in our hearts and what's so painful in our families and in our communities. It gives us the ability to know the vulnerability of being human. That being human means we're born into this changing conditioned life. We never know what's coming next. The tsunami of our lives can hit us all of a sudden. So being able to really connect with that vulnerability is so important or else it just hits us too hard without giving us a chance to practice, to know it on different levels of intensity. And to know that with greater clarity and deepening wisdom that comes from opening because of compassion, we're able to face these trials and tribulations, these um, painful bits of our lives inwardly and outwardly with greater balance. That's the balance of compassion and wisdom. So from more wisdom, deepening wisdom, compassion is born. From more compassion, wisdom is born. And each one affects the other, strengthens the other. This cycle of inner transformation becomes uh, very natural, very spontaneous, affecting the ways we face our inner lives and our outer lives. So in our practice here together, and in our lives outside of practice on the cushion and in this kind of seclusion, we've all seen for ourselves that when uh, a difficult experience is open to, it can bring more understanding. Of course, we're understanding what's going on inside of ourselves. We're not denying it. And we're understanding more what's going on outside of ourselves with other people Because when we see the pain in our own hearts, somehow it's easier to see and accept the pain of others, even when that pain might dissolve our marriage or might dissolve our hopes for a better home or our children growing up safely in the world. We're more able to 
face it. This is um, a beautiful poem or putting together of some wisdom by Khalil Gibran, who says, Your pain is the breaking of the shell that, enclo- that encloses your, under- your understanding. Even as a stone of the fruit must break open, that its heart may stand in the sun, so must you know pain. And if you could keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life, your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. So it, it's, um, pain is beautiful. It opens us in ways that joy has no possibility of opening us. So the reality we're faced with on a, on a bigger level is that we hear and see more about the shifting and changing planet, of course. We're more informed about the global environment and the effects that the melting icebergs have on the ocean currents, for example. The hurricanes, tsunamis, and earthquakes, how they affect our lives, even from a distance. Human life and animals and creatures of this earth are uh, disappearing. Things are changing in radical ways. Of course, they've always been changing, but we're seeing it in, in a more radical way in this time of our lives. One of my grandsons became so concerned about what's happening on this global level and um, how the blue whales that he loves so much, he reads a lot about these blue whales, how they're becoming one of the species that's being kind of wiped out in the world. And so not too long ago, last summer, he came to me with these crumpled up pieces of paper, and I looked at them closely, and they were dollars that he just folded so tightly, and he said, tutu, Tutu means grandma in Hawaiian. He said, Tutu, I want you to uh, give this to some place that helps the blue whales. And I said, oh, what, what's this? And he said, it's all the money I have. It was $7, all crumpled up in little pieces. In, folded up, I would say, not crumpled. And so, you know, he's heard about it so much. He, he looks at it. He looks after them on his, you know, the little computer work that he does and see what's happening. And so even little children, he was maybe eight years old when this was happening, and even little children so deeply affected by what's happening on the global level. And of course, out of compassion, he felt that. He wanted to help. But sometimes he feels a lot of fear, and he also feels... You know, what, why is this happening? Confusion. I'm glad he can come up with some compassion. So in our electronic age that we live in, the frequency and intensity of seeing and hearing over and over again, the, the stuff that goes on all around the world, that break our hearts, that make us confused and fearful of what's going to happen, we're deeply affected by all this. This reality impacts us greatly. How can we face it? Though it's not happening next door to us, though sometimes it is. So we hear about all of this that's happening, and what about compassion? We need to practice it, hear about it, strengthen each other in it more and more in our lives. So not to mention the tsunamis happening close to us in our families and our communities. It's so challenging to keep our hearts open, especially to that. I know for myself, when it's hard, I just want to go curl up and close down and read the, you know, whatever novel I'm reading (laughs) to kind of get a break from it. But sometimes I really intentionally open to it and touch it. I was in retreat when 
the tsunami in Japan happened some time ago. And so I didn't see what was happening. But when I got home, I heard about um, all these people in, in Maui, where I live, that were sponsoring people from Japan to come over and live in households in Maui. A lot of compassion was there. And a lot of Japanese people live on Maui. And so I thought, gee, this, it must have been huge. I missed this. So I made myself. And I didn't really, it, it wasn't that hard to make myself look at the videos on television of the tsunamis and see the families trying to reach out for one another when they were almost being swept away. And sometimes they were, where houses were swept away. So I could really just face it, face what I didn't want to see. But I saw it, you know, and it made my heart fearful, closed down, not want to see it. Um, Who's to blame? You know, it happens. So opening my heart was really important to it, being able to just turn on the, the computer and look at all the YouTubes of it. And as we practice, we become more honest with ourselves. We see those elements of fear and holding on to how we think it should be, to our viewpoints in life, to confusion that arises, getting so identified with that and helplessness, judging ourselves for, for one reason or another because we can't open. And actually, this is a place we need to open to the most, to those places in our own hearts that we feel we can't face, that are hard to be with. Those old patterns and habits, right there is where compassion is most needed. And oftentimes we think about it's, it's all about helping others, and we forget about that it's we need to help ourselves first before we can help others. I mean, it's such a trite saying, but we learn how true it is. We see what's not beneficial, and we see what's beneficial in our habits patterns. And yet, it's really hard to retrain ourselves in the habit patterns that are not beneficial so that we can kind of spontaneously bring up those things that help us to face life as it is and to do what needs to be done. When we're honest with ourselves, when we look deeply, we touch those parts of ourselves we're not proud of. And we need a lot of courage to do this. Remember that compassion is courage too. Because feelings that we think we shouldn't be having, like shame and failure and prejudice against ourselves, against others, jealousy, uh, deprecating ourselves over and over again for not being strong enough, not being good enough, they come up. And, of course, those beautiful qualities can come with it. The qualities of being able to be open and balanced, that quality of equanimity, the quality of being able to connect and to really face what's going on open-heartedly. That can happen. The ability to sustain our effort with it, to persevere, that can happen the ability to have wisdom with what's going on, to have a lot of clarity, that can happen. Oftentimes I have to remind myself and remind others when I'm clear enough to remind others to say, are there times when you are, when you feel those beneficial qualities really coming up in you? Don't forget to notice those too. Those are really helpful we seem to just notice the difficult parts of ourselves. Being soft with ourselves, having a gentle quality towards what's happening, 
helps us to know the whole realm. I remember um, being reminded of that by my daughter. She was only a teenager. Now she's a grown woman. And um, we were going down uh, on one of our highways in Maui. And uh, I was not happy that day, you know, and I was not probably driving as safely as she thought I could drive. And I was a little bit, you know, upset with people cutting in front of me and all of that. And I said, you know, a few swear words. And she said, Mom, do you know what's going on? And I said, yeah, these people are cutting in front of me. And she said, no, Mom, what's going on in your heart? And I said, oh, I said, anger and, you know, frustration. And, and she said, are you noting it? And I said, no, but I said, I will. And she, then she said, she had just come from a, a retreat here, a young adults retreat. And she said, Mom, soft mental note. Soft. <laughs> soft mental note anger, frustration. (laughs) But she reminded me to be soft about it. You know, not to be like, oh, there you go again, Kamala, those old habits. So I've heard so many people in this practice talk about realizing strengths they didn't know they had. And by the way, being soft with oneself is a strength. It's not, uh, you know, just being a doormat to what's happening. It's really a strength to be gentle with oneself. People have a lot of strength, and I learn, and I'm inspired, of course, as we all are, by people who tell us their stories about what it means to live a life that continues to deepen in the face of like life-threatening diseases or things that may end our life as we know it. It doesn't have to be a disease. It could be a separation, somebody dying or somebody just separating from our lives somehow. So I'm going to read something that uh, a dear friend and and a student gave me permission to read. And this is um, from, I name her, it's from Margie. And she's been a cook at the long retreats that we used to give over on Maui. And in this, she talks about such openness and vulnerability, her ability to just face all that was vulnerable in herself in relationship to a life-threatening disease. So she writes this, In one week I'll be going to the hospital for surgery that will deprive me of about one-third of the organ responsible for allowing my body to receive the breath of life. The surgery will also be the means for determining whether I have non-invasive versus an aggressive form of cancer growing in my lungs. The stakes are high. Rumi reminds us that all of this may be some kind of blessing with, with its own gifts to offer. So then she reads, uh, she puts in Rumi's poem, The Guest House. This human being is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. So she continues to say, my house feels swept clean. I'm somehow feeling more fully alive with a life-threatening diagnosis right here in my face. I'm re-examining my relationship to every aspect of my life and asking the questions. How does this serve me and all that is of value to me? What is of value to me anyway? I don't have all the answers, but the process has been enlivening, energizing, and sometimes fun. And so I welcome my next guest honorably, whatever that may be. 
So as we continue our journey to open with more honesty and honorably welcoming whoever comes to our door, whatever comes to our door, we need all the strength we can muster up so we can keep kindness and understanding always available to us, that ready ability to respond and not to close down or to give up or get overwhelmed. And if we do close down and give up or get overwhelmed, can we bring compassion in that soft connection right there to that place? That's what our lives, the fullness of our lives, are asking of us. So there's a growing sense of urgency uh, as we look at compassion as our ability to respond to life. There's a growing sense of urgency to help, to do what we can, to offer our gifts, no matter how small we think they may be to touch the world, growing it in its complexity and intensity and speed, to touch it with simplicity and slowing down, which we're all learning here, to touch the world with kindness. But equally as strong, and what I'm talking about more this evening, is a growing spiritual urgency for us to go within, deep within, to take the time and the place of knowing that inner landscape with much more clarity and courage than we've ever known before. The courage to touch ourselves with kindness so that we can do that more genuinely and more fully in the world, with the world, to experience a clear view of how it really is instead of closing down. To let the layers of our hearts be exposed in the balanced way that we know how to do it. To gently accept the places where we're caught in the pain of the body, in the pain of the heart. To really see it clearly with a sense of impending freedom that we can be freed not just from this, but by this experience. So it takes a sobering honesty and unflinching courage to do this. It's a rare kind of caring. It's a rare kind of gentleness that we can have in the world. A willingness to open to the underpinnings of our personality the inner structure, opening is not always good news, as someone said, opening to what's going on inside, the wholesome, the unwholesome, to accept every part of it without shame. There's a, an article from, uh, written by Agnes Au, she uh, writes for the Shambhala Sun now and then, and she's an author uh, herself. And she talks about the psychophysical tangles that are unfurled in practice, the exposing of layers that we're just coming to, or we see over and over again. She has this statement that's so filled with wisdom. She says, I see this path as actually an invitation to strip naked at one's own pace and in so doing to experience the vividness of an unfiltered life. So that's what we're doing here. With the best balance we can, we're opening to this vividness of an unfiltered life. We're seeing the underpinnings of what makes up this mind and body. So we want to develop that so it's a strength in us. Compassion is a strength in us. That it can lead us 
to that wisdom that's liberating. So without doing this quiet inner investigation, recognizing that inner landscape, we can never hope to have a really truthful and beneficial effect on the outer landscape of the world, our families, our communities, a larger in a larger global sense as well. Of course we have beneficial effects. All of us here are good human beings and we're, we give a lot of ourselves to the world. But we can do even greater good touching the world with kindness and wisdom. Granted, our practice may not radically change the world, but in fact transforming our hearts, which can be a real possibility, can send ripples of harmony out even from the stillness and quietness of our lives. As His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, compassion doesn't make the atrocities of the world disappear or see them as right. It just stops those atrocities from continuing in our own hearts. And that has an infinite outreach in the world because we're so strongly, infinitely connected. So usually compassion is thought of in terms of saving others, facing the struggles of the world out there and acting to relieve it. But we really have to include saving ourselves because if we don't include that part, then compassion really isn't complete. This is our major responsibility really to bring compassion to ourselves. That tender-hearted care to face ourselves. It's hard to do, of course, easy to say, easy for me to sit up here and talk about it. Actually, that isn't easy either. But... (laughs) But it's, it's hard for me also to face stuff in the world, to face the vulnerability of my children's lives and the changes going on in my own life. That isn't a small thing. So um, I wanted to talk about an experience I had of um, there was there was an event that happened many years in my life where ago in my life where a family member uh, hurt another family member in my life, and I was really so upset at the cruelty of this, and I had so much anger about it, and I just wanted to really push that person away. And, you know, I had it in my mind, visions of actually physically pushing that person. Of course, you know, I have the restraint to not act it out, and I I don't think my, actually my hands or my arms could really do that, but um, realizing the cruelty of that person, hurting another person in my life, It was when I saw the cruelty in my own heart, the cruelty of that anger, of the wanting to push that person away, of wanting to hurt that person as that person hurt someone else. It was when I saw the cruelty in my own heart that I was able to have compassion for myself and for the other person. Because it's so painful to really see the pain in my own heart. Help me to see that person's pain too. And so I could soften around it more. I could accept it more. I could live with it more. And to say, this happens. It happens to all of us. It's, it's just the human condition. We're faced with so much that if it doesn't happen, you know, 
it would be an anomaly. It's just part of being human. So this is from David White, a beautiful poet. And it's an excerpt from his poem called Self-Portrait. And this excerpt speaks directly to what I'm saying. It says, It doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. I want to know if you know despair and can see it in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in the world with its harsh need to change you. I want to know if you know how to melt into that fierce heat of living, falling toward the center of your longing. I want to know if you're willing to live day by day with the consequences of love. So, of course, when we love one another, we're open to all of this. We're open to the whole terrain of what it means to be human. If we really want to fulfill our spiritual aspiration, this is what it means. People come to the spiritual path and say, I want to open. But at first, even myself, it was about just wanting to open what's, to what's blissful and joyful and what is easefully fulfilling. But I learned very quickly that it's about opening to the other part of life too. And that's what makes our spiritual life complete. So the whole terrain of compassion means that sometimes from the middle path of compassion, it swerves towards what is called the near enemy of compassion, which is despair or pity. Despair is an unhealthy kind of grief, not the kind of grief that is healing, which we sometimes hear about in in circles. That's important. But despair is this unhealthy kind of grief where it goes on and on and we get so attached to that grief because we, you know, we can have a sob and just feel like it's a relief for a moment. And so that relief can bring on another sob and another, oh, let me feel that grief again. And, um, but that really is never-ending. It's a never-ending kind of despair. And then there's pity for others or oneself, which sometimes that uh, terrain of compassion goes towards what is called the near enemy. It's called the near enemy of compassion because it can seem like compassion. It can seem like, oh, our hearts are just melting, you know, it's, but really they're collapsing. We're collapsing. It's too soft. It's more like drowning in despair or drowning in pity for ourselves. There's no clarity. There's no wisdom there to really help us. So with this state of mind, we get so bogged down in painful conditions that we become identified with it. We kind of lead into life with that, with that pattern. We lead into life with that particular wound. As William Stafford says in a poem, they turn into pearls, they take on luster, they accumulate as decorations or badges. We take on a specialness with them. I remember a time being caught in feeling in despair and pity for myself, and I was a broken record to my first teacher, Manindraji. And I kept telling him about a, a, an experience I had previously uh, in, in my life, in my life in, in the Philippines, and how you know, sorry I felt for myself and how awful it was and on and on. He, he kept hearing my story. And uh, at time, he, you know, took out kind of the, the sword that cuts it, you know. And he said, I remember we're going down that same highway that uh, Therese, my daughter, gave me the teaching on soft mental note. And we're probably in the same place. I should pay more attention to that. 
And Manindra said to me when I was telling him that, he responded, he said, the past is dead and gone, the future has not yet arrived, but this, in this moment, you have the power to change the future. But you keep going on and on and on about this despair, this pity of what happened in the past. Since just rethinking it, rebringing it up in a way that is more being lost in it rather than bringing a sense of courage and openness and touching it with compassion, that compassion that can be there with it without falling into oneself in kind of despair. There's a story that goes around in Asia that says... um, It's about a a person sinking in quicksand, wailing and screaming for help. And another person comes along and jumps in and tries to help that person. You know, and um, that person sinks too. And so compassion is like the person who stands on the side and has the wisdom to find a stick and to offer that stick of some kind of something help. It may be just a compassionate voice, it may be connecting, a touch, you know, it may be some kind of wisdom. And it it may just say, hold on to this stick, and it stands on firm ground, and it pulls that person out. And that's compassion. It's standing on firm ground. It's not collapsing inside. And so we're not overcome with pity or despair. That's the near enemy. And the far enemy is when we feel so much like we can't take it. We close down and we turn away and we just walk away. We can't face it for some reason. And maybe it's because we don't think we have enough balance or strength. And maybe that's wise to do, to just protect oneself temporarily. Or maybe we feel so angry at what's going on that we strike out with anger to push it away. Maybe there's resentment or blame, ways at which we strike out at the world, at others, at ourselves. So this far enemy, uh, which is cruelty, cruel to ourselves by closing down, cruel to others by striking out, this can happen too. And we need to watch out for this. It, uh, compassion doesn't always stand in that middle ground. It may swerve to and change to the f- uh, far enemy, which is cruelty, or swerve the other way, which is pity or despair. So we need to watch out for this terrain and see honestly, where are we now? and bring whatever balance we can to those places, to that moment. Maybe it's the, the compassion of courage, or maybe it's the compassion of gentleness. Which one or others that we may need to help ourselves to prevent further cruelty, to prevent further uh, closing down in pity? So this compassion is the quivering of the heart. It's described as the quivering of the heart. And, you know, I've tried to kind of experience what that means in my own life. I hear the quivering of the heart in response to pain. And I've tried to include not only to others' pain, but the quivering of the heart in response to the pain that happens right here so intimately with myself, inside. The unwise responses that I have to life or the ways that I can't see clearly that I'm cruel to others. So the quivering of the heart. When I feel compassion, I feel the heart quiver. And I feel that it's alive that there's life still there, that there's not a helplessness to what's going on. That quivering reminds me that I can face up to this, I can do it. 
I can handle this, I can open to it, connect to it, whatever needs to be done at that time. Different things, of course, at different times. This is all for my own purification, my deepening understanding. And so I try to see the quivering, feel the quivering as that, that there's an aliveness, there's a reminding me that there's strength there to face this first noble truth of life. The venerable Nyanaponika, a German monk who lived in Sri Lanka, passed away in the last years. I don't remember when. He was a great translator for the Buddha's teachings. So he said, compassion cleanses and strengthens the mind and the heart, awakens dormant potentials, and results in the spiritual transformation of our lives. So let's sit for a moment and let go of all the words. Just feel that. Uh, what does compassion, what value does it have in your life? Let's close with a... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.